0: This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. (laughs)
1: Welcome to another episode. yeah my name is Brian Searle, and that was a great timing whoever's phone was that boy. But we're welcome to another episode. Which threw me out for a little bit. We're the second week of the month, and we are focused on the glamping industry, which is perfect timing because we all just got back. Most of us just got back from the Glamping in USA in Colorado. Awesome, amazing time moment. I want to take a minute to talk about that. But first, before we do that. We've got a couple of special guests here. We should have Miguel joining us shortly, I believe, in the show. So, but Katerina is here and she's not one of our regular guests. So Katerina, do you just want to briefly introduce yourself and then we'll go from there.
2: Definitely. Hello. Thanks for having me here. So I am uh, Katerina. I'm the founder of uh, Camps Around. Camps Around is a platform for the first and guests, the opportunity that we have, in place we have started from, from Greece, Europe. But uh, we are now in, in a mode where we are expanding in other Mediterranean countries, where it's still pretty early, I would say, as a market, but uh, has a huge potential. In it. I think that uh, it's really nice what you do here and you're excited about it, and a little too to be part of that.
1: Awesome! I can't wait to talk to you. I want to dive into a little bit about what Greece is doing as far as the glamping industry goes, the whole Mediterranean area, and see how maybe it correlates to what we're doing over here in the USA and Canada. Also, Miguel's here. Miguel, welcome. Miguel is from a glamping company in Mexico. Do you want to briefly introduce yourself, Miguel?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks so much. I know the echo. You- yeah, I can hear you well. Is there an echo? echo? Okay, great. Okay, oh, sounding good. Yeah. Uh, great. Uh, so I'm Miguel Huerta. I'm the CEO of Natural Living. We're the first glamping operator in Mexico. And the glamping industry has been booming in Mexico ever since the pandemic. Right. We currently operate two glamping Associations. Hi Roman. Uh, how are you? Sadly, we've missed the glam
1: here to some meet You're cutting a little bit in and out. I don't know if it's just me, and Miguel. No, I here think the are fading in and out a little bit. We'll try to come back to you in a second. But we got I think we got most of it. you run this really cool landing place in Mexico. You're familiar with Ruben, probably is he a member of the association, Ruben? So my new, yeah.
4: Miguel and I have interacted in the past and it's good to see him and sorry you couldn't make it to the show. Awesome.
1: So let's dive in here before, and again, Katerina and Miguel, we're going to get to your stories. I definitely want to talk about Greece and Mexico, what the glamping industries look like in both places. But I feel like we need to start with what happened just last week because like, probably shocked us all, right? Like we knew the Glamping Conference was great. we had been to it years before, but I think that this kind of far exceeded everyone's expectations. 1,400 attendees, 112 plus exhibitors, just people networking and walking around and talking and exploring tents and just that's something that we frankly maybe never seen an industry conference before. I'm going to let you Ruben take the lead as the American Glamping Association guy and just tell us what was your review of the conference? How did you come away from it?
4: yeah it went we did it it'd be great to get i know irene and david and brian and Carl. you guys were all there and, and it'd be great to get your guys' perspective but it, it's funny because i told the story at the beginning of one of the talks of how honestly the 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 owner of the glamping show uk who's one of the owners of the glamping show when we sat down to originally kind of craft some pathway forward to this i i assumed that one day we would be to some version like this. And obviously there's a pandemic in the middle of it and going on our, what was that? Six or sixth iteration, whatever it might be. But at that point in time, we didn't know, right? We were just guessing. We, from all of our conversations, people in all these different states and cities, we hoped and assumed and maybe hopefully naive. So it's just, it's great to see all the people there at one point in time. It's great just to have all these like-minded individuals under one roof. It only happens, unfortunately, really once a year. To see the amazing structures that the manufacturers can put up literally in a day, day and a half, it blows my mind. People traveling from all over and making this a priority and people getting business deals done there on site. was really all that we can ask for. And at the end of the day, nobody really ran out of the room screaming, I hate this. It was a big win. but it, And it also, I think it'd be great to hear what you guys think. but. One of the comments that I did receive time and time again from people who were new their first time there was, man, there's a lot of hugs as in people are genuinely just like each other and have talked to each other maybe over zoom for the last year. And now's the first time they get to see each other in person and they're they've been pretty close and it really is a, a community and a network of just good people, right? We could be doing something completely different, like a popsicle factory or something like that. but. In the, in the dairy industry or anything like that. But at the end of the day, just the comments around how people feel very close-knit and catching up with people, it just makes me happy. So other people there, I don't know, you guys might've had a terrible time and it was just
1: me who thought it went okay, but I was happy. I would like to see Popsicles next year now that you're bringing it up. But other than that, I really didn't have a problem with the show. I want to let Irene and David weigh in for in a second, but just for me specifically, the conversations that I was having from a modern campground perspective was, Just eye-opening, to be frank, right? I've been in the camping and RV park industry for 15-plus years, and I'm slowly, as we all are here in the States, getting into glamping, whereas Europe, and I'm sure Katarina can weigh in on this too, I've been in glamping for call it glamping but in glamping for a lot longer than we have and so it's eye-opening just seeing so many people from so many different countries who have so many established products who have gone through these iterations and refinements and listened to what customers have wanted as they've evolved their desires and the ways they want to go glamping and luxury camping and all those kinds of things kind of hasn't hit over here yet and so it's almost like a window into the future talking to some of those people because you would expect the same evolution in some ways to happen in the United States and Canada and really impressed me. And then the other thing was talking to the vendors and the suppliers who were here last year and who said the audience demographic is so dramatically different. Last year, it was a lot of people who were, I want to get into glamping because of the pandemic, but I don't own any land and I have no plans and I don't have any financing and but talk to me anyway. And this year, everybody's like in the process. They're in the weeds. All the vendors were telling me like they're talking to me, they've got land, they're going through the permitting process, they're ready to buy. And so it's totally flipped everything on its head where I don't want to say people were unhappy last year because nobody said that, but they're happier this year.
5: I think that stuff really speaks to like the quick kind of maturation of the industry itself and just like how much interest there is that folks are motivated to move quickly. I have to agree. I fully last week, it was a great experience to just be immersed with so many people who are trailblazers. In North America, in a lot of ways, it was very energizing. It was great to be gathered again in that way. And Ruben said it was fabulous to finally meet so many people who for years now have known and had arguably hundreds of conversations with some of them and had never met in person. I totally agree. I think that we had a couple of supplier members exhibiting units in the show and, and really expressed to me that same thing you're saying, Brian, where the demographic is shifting. There's more actual development happening, and I think that's of the great turnout and the exciting kind of atmosphere at the show last week.
1: So, David, Irene, I would love to hear your take on it. Irene obviously was on the show last month. David, we've been trying to get on the show, but due to my technical prowess keep messing up his audio for once in a while. So I think we finally got him here. But David and Irene, do you want to share your thoughts on the show? Or?
6: I'm happy to, but I'll let David go first.
7: Wow. That's a, I'm glad you let me go first because as I learned last week, Irene is a really tough act to follow. I look, I totally agree with everything you guys said. It was, I thought the show was fantastic. And I think that it's a testament to all the work that Ruben and, and Sally and David have done in bringing that event forward. But I think also in, in just showcasing the industry and. Look, I think, uh, I think all of us are here because we're enthusiastic about outdoor hospitality. And so I, I don't expect any of you will argue with this, but I think this industry is at a little bit of an inflection point right now where we've got a kind of a combination of years, of, several years of the organization behind it, a number of really successful brands that have taken off and acting as leadership thought leaders in the space. Some really intelligent people who can get up on stage like Ruben and educate a room. And so I think it's not surprising to me that there were so many people in attendance as there were. And I just, I thought the, as I made, as I observed on stage of the event, I think that having a conference like that is probably the single most effective thing that this industry can do to to continue pushing it itself forward on that pathway to professionalization and institutionalization, which I think is the kind of the pathway that it's heading towards.
4: And Brian, now that we've got both David and Irene on kind of for the first time, maybe it would make sense. Would you mind doing your quick intro and then Irene, we can pop over to your intro and then to your kind of thoughts afterwards that way, since now we've got the core group here for the first time.
7: Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name's David and I'm the founder of a platform called Outside Capital, which is a niche investment company that my partners and I launched earlier in 2022. My, my background is almost entirely in the hospitality, traditional kind of hotel hospitality, resort hospitality business. And previously I worked as a investment banker and then most recently as an investment professional with a private equity firm that Invested in traditional hotels and resorts, but also recently backed a company called AutoCamp, which is a, I'm sure most of you guys know, one of the leaders in the outdoor hospital, the kind of glamping side of the outdoor hospitality business. So we're a very niche firm. We try to focus exclusively on the outdoor hospitality space, which we define as everything ranging from traditional RV parks and campgrounds through to glamping or outdoor resorts through to nature-based outdoor recreation themed small hotels, lodges, and inns and everything in between. So yeah, my, my background's probably a little bit different to some of you folks that don't have the, the RV campground pedigree that I think a lot of your, you, you do Brian and a lot of the folks in your network, but our fascination with this space is that we think a lot of these a lot of these areas are starting to get into each other. There's a lot of campgrounds that start, they're starting to look a little bit more like hotels. And then we always remark that we see lots of examples in traditional hotel design of developers and architects trying to bring the outside in as well. So it's, I think there's a lot of kind of, as I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of niche components that you can put under that outdoor hospitality umbrella, but What we really like about the space is that all of those elements are starting to combine and cross over with each other in a way that's super interesting. Very exciting. Yeah. Irene?
6: Thank you, Ruben. I am Irene. So Irene Wood, I am actually the founder of The Field. It's a little boutique outside outdoor glamping resort and located in South Haven, Michigan. Some of you probably saw me last week as part of the pre-show pre-workshop, right before David, where I talked a little bit about halfway slash founder story, halfway slash all the things that you need to do, your like glamping basics checklist. Very different than David. I have zero background in camping or RV parks or any of that kind of hotel management. So I come from, I think, maybe a little bit of a fresh perspective which I think is what I'm enjoying so much about this industry is that there's a lot of people that have very colored stories and trajectories that get them to this space and a fresh approach, right? A combination of, I always say I'm the recovering camper, which has been such a really fresh approach and probably why we are seeing such strong success, particularly I think I just, we're just getting, we're two weeks from completing our fourth season, which just went by in a blink of an eye. So for me, particularly at this glamping show, what I was loving is seeing all these people who have been dreaming and thinking about doing something. And quite candidly, I cannot believe that four years has come and gone that quickly. So I just know how quickly this industry is moving. And really what I loved also, Ruben, was all the vendors that came in to this show, right? All the different accommodations that are you're starting to see, all the different approaches to it, and then really the formality that you're starting to see. So a little bit of background an engineer by trade. And then I spent probably the last 15 years in event planning. And I've taken a little bit of the engineering and a little bit of the event planning and smashed it together and created what I believe to be is a really charming Midwest resort. And, again, just really thrilled about this industry, see a lot of potential that David spoke to, Ruben spoke to, all of you believe in, and just a really strong advocate for everybody's little niche in the industry because without some pretty strict boundaries, which this industry doesn't have, a lot of people can be a lot of things. And so that's what's most exciting for me.
1: And what did you think of the glamping show?
6: Unfortunately, when you operate a glamping resort, you don't get to stay at the glamping show for very long. So I literally came in on Sunday. I got the eleven o'clock flight. I or I landed in Denver at eleven p.m. Got up on Monday. I did the show Monday. Did a I entertained some some up and coming interested operators, and then I had to fly out on Tuesday. So. Once you're in the weeds operating, you don't get this luxury like Ruben does of all these vacations and the ability to be able to take so much time off to entertain. I won't
1: feel too bad that I missed you <laughs> at the lamping show then. I worked here on Monday, but I was in Boulder with my girlfriend hiking around. And sorry, Ruben, priorities. Um, all good. Yeah. But yeah, it's I understand the feeling flying in and out. Like I did that for probably nine years and finally got to a point where I can take a few extra days, but go ahead.
6: Maybe next year.
4: No. And I Irene, David, thanks for taking the time to speak. It was very well received and it was fun just to see, We're just closing the loop on that. We expected, we did the investment connection, which is having sub-aspiring glamping entrepreneurs pitch. And again, thought we might get 30 people and there's a few hundred people in there. It just shows people are really, you know, lack for a better word, just kind of starving for the, not only content, but the right type of information and education. And as the world of glamping becomes bigger and bigger, more complicated and more complicated. And I think part of what, what Irene and David and the other speakers and the other pitchers were able to bring to the conversation is just this feeling of, look, there's other people doing some great things. You get everybody like-minded individuals under one roof and good things tend to happen,
1: which I think it did Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Let's switch for a second here. Does anybody have anything to add about the glamping show before we, I'll take that as a no, it had to be really quick because it would have been awkward if I would have stayed in the camera for too long. So I want to take a moment and pause and thank our sponsor here for this episode. It's let's camp, but we do have a video that that we should be playing, but I'm going to skip it this time in the hopes that they'll going to give us an updated video. That's more focused on glamping, but the video is, is it normally focused on campgrounds. They are a reservation system and online platform. They do a great job. They're up here in Canada, right, Kara? Headquartered in, are they in Calgary? Or are they closer?
5: No. Oh my gosh. They're actually in BC, but uh, they're yeah. They're close. I got the
1: half of the country, the West side. So.
5: True. Yeah. Yeah. No, Let's Camp has been a great supporter of the associations and our members and has great product. Always grateful for every way that they contribute to the industry. For sure.
1: Absolutely. And I do, I know they do some work with lamping properties and they're expanding in that aspect as well. All right. Let's start with, what do you pick? Greece or Mexico? Kara, who do you want to, who do you want to start with? Let's go to Greece. Let's go with Greece. Okay, so this is Katerina. I could check my show notes here. I keep missing these things because I'm unorganized today for whatever reason, as we discussed before I started the show here. But Katerina is the co-founder and CEO of Camps Round, and then she was telling us before the show that it's a, an online booking platform like for the glamping outdoor hospitality industry. Katerina,
2: exactly. So we started around. Uh, it, it's the idea that we came up with this based on our experience as campers in in, in from Greece. And that's when around, let's say, years ago, we saw how traditional marketing is. And then we started thinking that, okay, great. So we had professional background in marketing and thought it's a nice idea to create a place and make it easier for campers to book it online. And then, throughout 2020, there was this effect of the pandemic, of course, that brought the outer feeling more in we also had a glamourization race, where there is this effort that done from, the uh, any Chamber of Hotels and the Ministry of Tourism to create, if I may say, products of What Where is something really unique, really different. It's not only based on, uh, which I think is a big argument always, it's not only based on the structures, how glamorous the structures is, but also the holistic experience that these accommodations r- really offer. And and of course, a lot, a lot more than that. So that's when we saw that uh, it's a bigger opportunity. And after the pandemic, we're going to, uh, also in other countries, in Mediterranean. As I said before, there is a potential here. It's something new for this southeastern European state. So it's, I think would think it's the right timing to, to be here for, for that.
1: I think I would agree with you. And I think maybe everybody, if I don't want to speak for everybody on this call, but that the experience have just as much to do with the accommodations. Is that fair to say, Rubo? Yeah. And I guess my question, just
4: to help us out, because we often get narrowly focused on what's going on here in the States, but just generally speaking, what is the vibe or kind of the take right now within, we we'll call it anything outside of the UK, so Southeastern Europe, and then kind of anything outside of the UK. Is it mostly smaller operations? Is it mostly campgrounds that are driving the growth? Is it hotels? that are starting to drive a lot of the investment into this unique outdoor space. What has that been looking like for the growth? Where's that growth and investment coming from?
2: Of course, is a lot different. It was it's another market, I would say, from the rest of Europe in so many ways. What we can say for the rest of Europe, we have the big market where it's mostly France, it's the Netherlands or other countries that have come from that are based, it's not only about the it's about any operator that has mainly come from the place in different areas. It's not all. So that's a trend that we see there, but of course, from what we see here in Greece, and that also has to do with some, which is we had from people from abroad that were to invest in, in this region. It's that, yeah, very interest also from hotel, from big hotel chains, where they want to create the new glamping, which will be a more luxurious. Of course, it will have many amenities, private facilities private facilities. So it's mostly about a different type of, of glamping, and that's exactly that's also what here in Greece, they're trying to, to promote, let's say, something that will be more glamorous and of course, combined with the other experiences and I would say the greater region here.
1: Is it fair to say, and maybe I'm, Ruben, you could probably answer this too, maybe I'm wrong, but it, I assume that Europe as a whole was way ahead of us. Is it fair to say it's more the UK that's ahead of us or? I think, and everybody can chime in here and give their
4: perspective, but I think what's been clear and Irene and David, you guys might have interacted with a lot of maybe outside the U S individuals and organizations over the last week or so too, but they're just different, right? What happens in South America is different than what happens in Canada, which is different happens in UK. And I think the main comment that I did receive, which we've received over the last several years, if not the decade is just the vast opportunity that the US has for land, right? So in the UK, that's what you got, right? You don't have unlimited territory and resources, right? And then the opportunity for a country like Greece or France or Portugal is you can tie in from a lot of people coming from Germany. A lot of people come in from the UK. You've got different cultures and different vast numbers of travelers that can, that are already familiar with that destination, right? It's an easier flight. So there's, I think there's different opportunities and different strengths, and then different weaknesses of, of each market. But I'm still very fascinated learning about what some of the other international markets are doing, because I think there's stuff that we can learn. Like each country can learn from what that other market is doing. And each country can learn what to stay away from, because if they were three years ahead, it's like looking into a, a glass ball to say, let's just not, do that because that didn't really work out for them? Or how do we want to change that? I think it's interesting.
2: I think what I I totally agree that there are two different markets at all. I think that what we see about US is mostly that you have more an outdoor lifestyle than the rest of the here in Europe in general. But of course, when we're talking about camping or campsites or even RV life, we're talking mostly about people from central Europe, that we travel around Europe, either with their RV or to Try the experience. Yeah, I would say I would agree that it's just different. And of course, the thing here is also that when you have different countries, you also have different regulations, which makes it more difficult for someone to go from one country to the other and create something because they need so many things to to figure out before they do that. Which I don't think it's that big in US.
1: Okay, so that makes sense. So from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you mean.
2: Yeah, either we're talking about someone creating a glamping property in Italy, and then if they want to go in France or if they want to to come to Greece, they have to deal with different situations in terms of creating the whole glamping property. So it's easier for them to create my lumping glamping in the same area, origin or country than going in another one.
1: Versus, yeah. So Colorado to Texas, Texas to Cal, maybe not California there, but uh, (laughs) lots of regulations in California. I keep hearing, but yeah, state to state. I I completely agree with you. That's, that's That's definitely again, just something never popped into my head, right? Before having this conversation, but it's fascinating to learn it all. And just a quick question, any, is there anything that you could shine any light on
4: when it comes to the international markets? Because while we have Katrina and she's in a very unique mark as, as whether they're professional investors or different organizations, as they're looking to put money into expansion, has there been much of what that would look like on an international stage and what the viewpoint would be from a capital infusion, seeing that it's hard to do so from state to state here. I'm I'm sure it's hard to do from country to country, but is that, are those part of the conversations yet? Are people still with interest rates where they are? with the industry where it is. It's still maybe in a few years type of conversation.
7: Yeah, I think just as a general comment, I think that my experience from the hotel side of the industry is that the capital markets for hospitality, real estate in general in the U S are probably better organized than almost anywhere else in the world, if not everywhere else in the world. And I think that part of, part of what you've seen in the When you can zoom out from from the glamping or experiential nature-based lodging space, whatever, however you want to describe it. I think there's a few things that are clear or just a a few observations. Number one, I think it depends what part of the industry you're talking about. And glamping, if that's your preferred term, it it obviously has a very strong pedigree and history in Southern Africa. A lot of the safari destinations um, have had tented camps of all sorts of varying price points and amenity sets for decades and decades. in Australia where I'm from the, what we call the caravan park industry, which is the equivalent to the RV park space is actually, actually extremely well organized and there's a lot of inst- institutional capital that's been in that sector for a long time. And I would, I would, I've never really studied this, but I would guess that the overall level of brand penetration there is probably higher than it is here, and that's, that might be true in the UK as well. So I think it depends what part of the industry you're talking about. But one thing I would say is that the US is probably the friendliest market for risky venture capital in the world. And I think that's been a really important part of why we've seen some of the kind of emerging outdoor hospitality brands pick up and take off here in the US in a way that I haven't really seen done in such a, in in such an organized fashion abroad. But again, it all just depends what you're talking about. And I think whatever, whatever segment of in the industry you like, you can look overseas and find really interesting examples of how things are being done in a unique way. And I think that's, like I said, that's, I think that's true at the, the very most budget end. If you just look up some of the brands in Australia, like Big Four, Discovery Parks, the, these are really big, sophisticated, innovative companies that I think are tackling camping and caravanslash RV travel in a way that can be. Dis- could be described as world best or world leading, but even at the luxury end of the market, you can go to Southeast Asia and find properties like the, the Four Seasons Tented Camp in, the, in Thailand or the Capella property in Bali. These are truly world-class luxury clamping properties, if that's the word you want to use. So yeah, there was a lot in there, Ruben, but I think if, to summarize, I think it depends, but I think that the US is probably the kind of lowest friction point if you like in terms of you know where in the world you can go and access capital for some more of these kind of innovative offbeat concepts in my opinion
6: do you
1: feel like i'll just jump in since no one else is jumping in. do you feel like just given your we're talking about capital briefly do you feel like that risk nature in the u.s is going to be less risky as we move forward given inflation rates in the economy or
7: i think you know the inf- Inflation rate, high inflation, higher interest rates, more macro demand risk. These things aren't really good for anybody, whether it's outdoor hospitality or traditional hospitality. And I made the comment at the glamping show last week that interest rates are like, they're like a gravitational force for valuations of anything, whether it's glamping or Rubens Popsicle Factory or whatever you like. So I think if we do end up in a higher rate, environment where there's just more macro risk, I think it will, at the margin, I think it will probably be harder in general to fund most hospitality initiatives. But having said that, and I also made this point last week, I think in here in outdoor hospitality, we have this interesting case to make, which is that when you look back, and we've done a lot of research on this at Outside Capital, when you look back at the last macro downturn the last really significant macro downturn excluding covid which was nearly 15 years ago now we don't have great data from the rv park campground industry from back then about what the impact of that shock was on overall levels of outdoor travel but there's a bunch of anecdotal data points to suggest that industry actually outperformed the rest of hospitality and the rest of the economy in general find enormous margin. And I think when you think about when you think about what people do in a in a downturn, and the way that people tend to switch to may may switch to lower cost or more affordable forms of travel instead of canceling their travel vacation plans altogether. That that sort of makes sense to me. And I think that every anyone in the hospitality business competes in a global marketplace now. And I think you could probably make that same argument even for some of the higher priced, more kind of amenitized alternatives that exist in the marketplace now that didn't 15 years ago, then probably benefit in a way from people who are not deciding to travel overseas. If that's If that's one of the consequences we see from a period of higher energy prices and lower economic demand. So anyway... Long story short, I think that, I think that the environment that people are worried that we're entering right now is is probably not good for anybody. But I do think that the outdoor hospitality space, whatever part of it you're in can really make a convincing case that this part of the hospitality and travel industry is actually pretty well positioned to outperform relative to old world's hospitality and travel businesses if, if we do, and if we do end up in that sort of environment. And to that point, question around environment, Irene, Katerina,
4: Miguel, this is kind of the question that keeps coming up over the last few months too, is what are, what's pricing, what is that environment really doing on the ground? Are you seeing a change in the pricing in your local level, demand, occupancy, ADR at your kind of local level? I know that during COVID, obviously there was a big boost in boom, there was a level of question around stabilization and... But what are you guys seeing at your local levels for that? In terms of fr- pricing here in Mexico,
3: what we have done, sadly, we cannot increase prices by a lot. And that's number one. Two, even though, for example, here in Mexico, the interest rates have always been high. compared so to the States or Europe, getting outside farm, it's pretty hard. Or the terms are not as in these other nations. What that does to most of the glamping operators in Mexico is make them more efficient. For example, in our case at Nancy Living, for our first property, we made a, we made a profit on month three and on the second one, it was on month 11. At end, sadly, for most of the, it's not only landfers, but also in the whole, I will say economy, not even in the tourism industry, but in the whole economy, there are too many people that are very, that are highly leveraged. And sadly, with this downturn in the economy, we're gonna see a plunge where dealers or owners that don't make a profit as soon as possible, sadly, they will go out of the market. Now, on the pricing uh, strategy here in Mexico, sure we we'll we. When I was at the Lamping Show last year, I heard about amazing stories of people charging six hundred thousand, six hundred dollars uh, for a night, and that that's great. But also here in Mexico, even if you have free on location such as Tulum, you're going to charge that. There's always a gap on the pricing that you can have. Now, what we have seen is that there are a industry or tourism hubs such as Tulum or Cancun that sadly they have seen a downturn on the demand as well. But what we're seeing is that the internal market is the one that is making up for the lost sales to foreigners. So I think that the, sadly, Latin markets are something that we expect a little bit more often than in the States. So I think that we're a little bit more preferred in order to take these challenges. But at the same time, it's an internal market here in Mexico. At the end, Mexico is pretty much as large as Europe. So I was seeing this picture the other day where. From Tijuana, which is from the upper left corner of Mexico to the south, the southeast of Mexico, it's pretty much if you go from Europe to Greece. So Mexico, it's quite a large country, and it has some interesting opportunities for Americans that may uh, look to diversify their portfolio, but also for uh, Latin Americans um, building their own facilities. And I, I think that that's one of the conversations we had at the last Napping Show where. There are a lot of uh, Hispanics in, in the industry and I'm very grateful and thankful for that. I used to work at uh, technology companies and whenever I go to any of these, and on retreats. Sadly, the Latinos or these Hispanics were, uh, we were the minority and at the end, the mapping industry were pretty large or so we have a large representation. So how do you Uh, think,
1: uh, just following up on your last point before we get into some of the other issues, like how do you think we involve Hispanic people more in the glamping industry, get them to come to more of these conferences so they could be represented more fairly?
3: Well, for example, here in Mexico, we're working, um, and we would like to create the Mexican glamping association that is bound to happen. There are world leading facilities pretty much across Mexico. And for most of them, it's a dream or a goal to attend the glamping show. Think of that it's in Denver. So there's a direct flight straight from Mexico city. And I'm pretty sure that by next year, we're going to have a large representation of glamping operators. This year, I, from what I heard is that we have a large representation of constructors and fence manufacturers. So I think that's healthy. Now, I would like to see an increase maybe either on investing or on sales increase or revenue increase. And by that is sharing best practices among different owners. At the end, I think that regardless of your location, money is always an issue. But there are amazing like uh, lessons that we can share. For example, here in Mexico, at least, and monthly living, only 5% of our reservations come through OTAs. So that's amazing. We're saving a lot of money. Sure, I talked with some folks wh- where they say, maybe you're doing something wrong because in the American uh, market, most of the reservations, they come through these OTAs. But at the same time, maybe we're doing something right at, at the end it's everything goes back to the profits that the, that there um, is this making.
1: Yeah, I would, I, I would agree with that. I, I think you're maybe doing something right which you where I would lean because I'd rather have that 20% in my pocket or whatever percentage it is that those OTAs take away. From me. But go ahead. I think Ruben, you were going to say something. I wasn't looking at my screen, but before I jumped in.
4: No, that I think there's, as we look at every, as we bump into the next question here, Miguel, I think that this is not, this is kind of like a local and global thing that we're working on always, right? It's. What works in Chile and what works in Scotland, what works in Australia, what's working in New York, right? And what we can all learn from each other. So it's just great to, to always hear all the successes that are happening in market in Mexico. And it just shows how, how much we're barely scratching the surface, right? Across the globe in a way, which is an exciting, it's a really exciting thing. And then what we can do is really take on. What did we learn from last year and do it a little bit better? A kind of question for you, Irene, and then Miguel, David, everybody else can follow up, but as an Irene, I know you're not counting, but there's what, 12 days left to your season or whatever it is, but who's counting? Yes, me. <laughs> for those that are listening and whatnot, were there any kind of big lessons that you were able to pick up or things that were top of mind this year that you're looking and excited for next year and then for anybody else? because I think that's with the industry that's moving so fast, what can we pick up from what we just did over the last 12 months and make our business, everybody else's organizations better and better. I guess, group question of, I know it's weird with the seasonality, but as we get in October, November, things start to shut down, we revamp. So what does that look like? Anything that was top of mind?
6: Yeah. So one of the things I, when you start four years ago, so let's just start with, I opened the fields four years ago, which is really year zero. And we started halfway with a season. So we never got really the full rush of what a season would look like. And then the following two years was COVID. So there are a couple of things when we're evaluating how did you perform and how did you perform according to plan? But oftentimes in the very beginning, you're moving a lot of levers. You're moving levers with pricing and amenities. And so it gets really challenging oftentimes to sit through all the data points and then land where, where do you think and how did your business perform? I was thinking of what Miguel had said in terms of occupancy. And then there's a lot of data out there that shows what occupancy of hotels has been for the last few years and then what it's been for bed and breakfast. And really, I feel Lamping kind of falls between a hotel and bed and breakfast. So in that occupancy rate. But I do think that there are some benefits or kicks that the business got during COVID that now we're starting to realize when, now that COVID is lifted. And one of them that I think David and I had chatted about is the reality is kids are going back to school. And so the kids are going back to school, which means that the season that maybe somebody had, which was really all year round, or in essence, May through October, if that was your season, could be pretty much utilized. The reality is that every now, we had two years of that opportunity. Well, we'll chess it now where everybody's going back to school their school seasons are into June, and then everybody seems what? to be going back to school in August. So the season of being able to catch travelers has gotten a little bit condensed. And a lot of people, I think, with the glamping industry are in those areas where somebody's traveling to, and oftentimes they're considering traveling to with their kids. So I have seen a softening from a not ADR, but from an occupancy that maybe next year with a movement of a lever in terms of pricing, dynamic pricing, could pick up those, I want to term, shoulder months. So that's one of the things that I think about as for the plan for 2023. And then the other things too is Americans, and I don't know if anybody else is saying this, they need, they have this feeling of constant change. And I felt like when I saw Selective Retreats do their presentation, that that's a pretty young company. And for already in such a short time to, to be announcing a new product tells me that what they're seeing is a response to maybe people tiring of a certain look and needing to replace that certain look with another certain, right? To keep consumers engaged. Cause you went from, what was it? Igloos to then tents to now let's just talk about how awesome those little accommodations were. That's one of the things I see that is very different than resorts. And then at breakfast is the accommodation change, particularly in the United States, has to keep up with the attention span of Americans, which is very short. And so I think that those are, if I were to look at two main players, I think about that how COVID is done and how that's changed really the travel habits, particularly because the travel season has now gotten shorter, simply because everybody's got kids that are in school. The second thing is that we as Americans get bored very easily. and that's evident in what I saw at the Atlanta show with all the new accommodations that are sold. And then the third thing is that because everybody is fairly new to the industry, there is a lot of levers being moved, which makes it very hard to target which lever had the most impact. Is it pricing? Is it like all of your ancillary? Is it your location? Is it because you're a full trendy brand? Is it because you've got to, so? There's just a lot of moving pieces, and I think that's what makes it so fascinating. It's actually do have to be on your toes and very nimble, which I think that this business does. And really back to David's point, why I think this industry is going to survive what I believe to be a tough probably 24 months for most of us is, is that the profit margins are pretty short, which is why everybody wants to get into it, right? I empathize with my husband who an automotive company, when they talk about their margins, are at in the single digits. When you're talking about the glamping industry, which is why a lot of people are very attracted to it, and it's in the double digits, and oftentimes in the mid 40s, low 40s, to sometimes 60%. So we'll be able to ride that out because you have a little bit more buffer than other industries do. So for me, we're probably at the end of the season in two weeks, going to do a lot of evaluation and data scrubbing, and guest scrubbing to see. Again, yeah, what the real performance was and then put together a plan for next year and try to stay on our toes in the nimble or gas, the industry, and everybody else.
1: So much of all that, I feel like I can unpack for another hour. <laughs> but we don't have that much time. So the one question that I did want to ask is regarding the collective retreats, and I missed their presentation. I think, I don't remember seeing the accommodations and things. And so maybe I just wasn't in the room for that. I think I agree with you on Americans' attention span, but given the saturation or lack of it, maybe that we have in America, do you think it's a collective retreats pivot problem? Because yeah, I feel like a lot of Americans have stayed in those, but many have not experienced landing at all yet. And so their attention is still, maybe can be taken advantage of for the years it's in the more Original I'm just going
6: to answer from my perspective. Once you start to hit that price point of select for treats, they have their own following. And what they really amped up is actually what I would feel like I would compare to the tented camps of the four seasons. They've really made a huge investment. I do believe they will have the premier accommodation. I think that they're probably targeting a market All that already a product. that is very excited for the next products. But I do believe that there is a lot of people who haven't entered the market yet who are just seeing it. But again, I think Peppa Pig was talking about glamping three years ago. And Barbie put out a whole glamping slash camping thing two years ago. So I feel like there was an influx of a lot of people talking about it. If they didn't know about it, they've heard about it. I'd be curious to see and maybe Ruben, we have the data. How many more consumers do we have out there to go grab that haven't touched glamping yet?
4: That's a good question.
6: We didn't for, know, right?
4: That's yeah. And I think as you're saying that, and if, um, anybody else has that a perspective here in the last few minutes on this, I think from that I've said for quite some time now that this post pandemic or during the pandemic, that glamping has proven to be this gateway to the outdoors. So people who were just like, I can't really do camping, but Hey, glamping sounds pretty good. And this year and at this show and over the last few months or last year, I think there's this shift in even the term glamping where five years ago, you wouldn't really be caught dead using it in certain circles because people would be like, nah, that's, no, absolutely not. So I don't know, Katerina, Miguel, and David, if you feel that same way where just the term itself, I think is, Irene, to your point, could signal some of that. All the little PR that's happened, all the Barbie, all the different articles, all the Kardashians going, all of the, whatever it is, I, and I think that just takes time to get there. I feel this year, honestly, is the first year where you sometimes don't have to look over your shoulder before you <laughs> use the, the, the term, but that's just, could be just me.
5: Yeah, well, I definitely agree with that. Absolutely. We've got some members and I, I won't call anybody out, but I joke with one all the time about, he doesn't have to like the term. What matters is that the consumers understand and are embracing the term and are seeking out those experiences, the word, the definition stuff, I think took a while to get there. And we see that in, in other areas of the outdoor hospitality industry, in my opinion, too, but specifically with Lamping, it's just that market awareness and understanding has grown significantly over the last while. And I agree. I think it's because of those big
2: PR things that have worked in our favor that way. I agree as well. Sorry, there for that. So what I feel is that the same thing now people are really going into using this word, even if sometimes they're not sure of what it is, but they feel that it's a glamping experience. So we've seen that a lot. And if we're talking about next uh, several months, what they feel is it's the realization of everything has to do with outdoors. Everything has to do with how you feel about going uh, in the great outdoors and its place as their unique point, even in Greece or in Italy, maybe North Italy is different from South Italy. In North, there are more wineries farms that can serve glamping and then with the your- South Italy, which is more sun and beach, so I feel that every place and every operator has to find their own way to to promote, uh, let's say, their place and to create a unique, a solid presence for themselves to bring the right guests at uh, their accommodations. I
3: think that we're still on the early days of the on the industry. I really recognize all the hard work that the OG lampers have done for the industry, but at the same, for example, here in Mexico, we're only seeing that people are getting. Or that the industry or the category is getting traction. So even though that the glamping industry in Mexico boomed, I would say in the last two years, the level of attention that the glamping industry is getting based on Google searches, it's pretty much at the same level as hostels, which is a well-established category that has been for a long time. So that only shows that we're on the very early stages that people are discovering in the category. And the other thing is that here in Mexico, according to to our estimates of mental living, is that uh, there are somewhere around 12 to 42 million people who could potentially be glampers. So I think that we have uh, a lot of work for improvement and to get people involved. And with the economic downturn, maybe that that, that will mean that long are the things where we will charge whatever amount. And maybe we should increase our prices and make it a little bit more affordable to the regular people. But at, the, at this, uh, for example, here in Mexico, one of the main issues that we have is that if even though that we have national parks, the level of quality that we get from the lodging options nearby those uh, national parks are extremely low. So glamping, it's, it's a it's the perfect solution for that in order for Mexicans to go and enjoy
1: these, these wonders. All right, we've got about two and a half more minutes. Does anybody have any final thoughts here before I briefly give mine? Everybody's
0: so quiet.
1: All right. I think what I'm taking away from all of this, that at least in my personal perspective and in, in my eyes, as I've discussed, like I have a background in campgrounds and RD parks for a number of years now. And through that, I've had that slow exposure to glamping as campgrounds and have continued to add dirts and other alternative accommodations. And inside of virtual, picking up some clients now that are just in the last two or three years that are solely glamping focused. But I think especially attending the show, meeting all the people from, I don't know, 37 different countries. I don't know how many countries I met, but it was quite a lot. Hearing you guys talk a uh, gear about Mexico and Greece and Europe and talking to Nick Perslow from Glampotech about the UK and everything that Ruben is sharing. It's just really eye-opening and very exciting seeing how the industries are the same but different and progressing at different rates at different times, but also at the same rate in the same time. And just learning that there's so much knowledge that we can share, regardless of how far away we might be from each other, that can benefit everybody. It's just open my, I'll be honest, like I put my head down for the last 13 years. I've been an entrepreneur running my company until December. I'm not, I've never stepped foot in, stepped foot in Europe. I'm going to take my first European trip and I'm 40 years old because I've had my head down working 110 hours a week for the last 12 years. Right. And so it's opening my eyes, not only to the world, but just to how we can more come together, especially in a tight niche industry like this and just share all the resources and knowledge we have together. It's really cool. I think. I, feel like you did a holiday. I, <laughs> I do, but it's by choice. <laughs> it's by choice. So.
3: <laughs> it's okay. I foresee that a lot of uh, international cooperation among Lampers will start to emerge. So I I am really grateful for you, Brian, on having me and this very diverse cast. And well, of course, Ben is doing an amazing job with Lamping Hub and the American Lamping Association. So I think that it's bound to happen. And now with certain technologies such as crypto, maybe wiring money from one country to the other, will not be as horrible as it is right now. Um, I don't know. I'm very excited about the future.
1: For sure. Ruben, any final thoughts?
4: No, thank you guys for all taking the time. Really appreciate it. Anytime that we get to talk glamping is a nice reminder that how lucky we are to be in part of this space that is exciting and still emerging and everybody's still trying to figure everything out in a way. And so it's just great. I think, like I said, whether it's the show, these conversations, other gatherings, get-togethers conversations. It's just good to have these types of topics be brought up because this is what we're thinking about on a daily basis. And it's just great to always be connected with just intelligent, like-minded individuals. So thank
1: you guys for taking the time. For sure. These conversations are so stimulating for me. Like it's almost like a vacation, just having them, the intellectual conversations, learning new things and stuff like that. Karen, (laughs) any final thoughts?
5: Sorry. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'll echo what Ruben said. I appreciate everybody's time and, and joining us. I Same thing. I really love these conversations here in Canada. Dynamic is really fresh and super exciting here too. I'm excited, like you all, to see what the next five or 10 years bring on this front specifically.
1: Awesome. Thank you all for joining us. I really appreciate it. Miguel and Katarina, especially. Hopefully you guys will join us back for a future episode sometime to give us an update on all your adventures and things that are happening in both of your countries and with both of your businesses. Uh, Ruben, as always, thanks for co-hosting this special blabbing episode with us. We're looking forward to seeing you back next month, as well as Irene and David for more awesome conversations. So take care guys. And we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks a lot.
1: Our side, yes.
0: Thanks a lot for having us. Bye-bye. Thank
1: you very much. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.